The family of a local teenager says she never would have left home without calling. It's praying for the best. I want my daughter home, man. And if she can't come home, I just want to know where she's at. These posters around the towns of Livermore and Jay beg anyone with information to come forward. Posters that Richard puts up every spring, never losing hope. An arrest in a nearly four-decade-old cold case. Thanks to cutting-edge DNA technology, the arrest happening exactly 39 years to the day. When Parabon Nanolabs used that sample to create 3D models of the suspected killer's face. It's heartbreaking. We miss her, and we're going to find her. We're going to keep looking until we do. It's like a never-ending nightmare. It doesn't end. It keeps returning and coming back. What if I told you on March 17, 1995, six Canadian teens all go missing at the same time? What if I said police believe they stole a boat from a marina, went out into Lake Ontario, where they met their demise? What if I told you the only evidence found was a gas can reportedly from this boat? No bodies, no clothing, no boys. Welcome back to Locating the Lost, Season 1, Episode 8, The Lost Boys of Pickering. I'm Travis. I'm Jeff. And tonight, we're speaking with Bruce Ricketts, a private investigator who's been working on this case for free for the last eight years to help the families involved. So um, I'm here with Jeff. Uh, he does this with me. Uh, his name is Jeff Atwood. Uh, so Jeff, this is Bruce. Nice to meet you, Bruce. Uh, sir, how are you? Good, good. Good. You guys staying, uh, staying indoors down there or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just me always. <laughs> I, I actually state of being. I actually live in my basement so I'm safe here yeah I, well I live in my basement too my wife says <laughs> yeah. that's where my office is in the basement yeah mine too I think they plan it that way Bruce uh, yeah my wife actually has the has the, her office upstairs in the up, upper section in the loft so with windows and everything wow oh, gotta, she, gets, she gets to see stuff yeah, I got a black wall, a uh, blank wall, I should say, and a couple of pictures. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. So, uh, if you could start off with uh, introducing yourself and then let us know what kind of got you into this. Uh, I'm Bruce Ricketts. I'm a private investigator here in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, been involved with this case since uh, 2012. Um, at that point in time, a, a friend of mine who happened to, to come from the Pickering, Ontario area, uh, brought this case to my attention. Um, and I was writing at that time, I had a, a website called Mysteries of Canada. And uh, I was looking at this purely as a, you know, a mystery, trying to figure out what's going on, bringing the information to, to the internet. And as I got further into the investigation, it turned out or turned into a, uh, I can't think of the best way to describe it. I guess it's, it's a passion of mine now. Um, I've been working on this since 2012, so eight years of dealing not only with the issues, but also dealing with one of the families of uh, the missing boy, or the missing boys, I should say. Um, and it's just uh, spiraled from there. So at this point in time, I'm hated by uh, three police departments and a coroner's office <laughs> for asking too many questions. Wow. Yeah, that, that tends to happen, I think, in these types of cases when people start asking the wrong questions. Yeah. Well, you know, this case is, yeah, th this case is 25 years old. 
and uh, you know, I've, I've been involved in it now for eight years. But you know, it's it's a cold case. But every time that you you turn around and you ask questions of the police, they say, "I oh, know it's an active case." To which I point out to them, the only reason it's active is because I've been asking you guys questions and and filing access to information requests now for for eight years. Um, you're you're really not investigating it. Uh, you know, it's open because I forced them to open it. And they won't give you any answers about it. Well, you know, they respond obviously to the to the uh, the request for information uh, uh, mm-hmm. under under the the laws of uh, the FOI laws here in, in Ontario and Canada are a little bit more stringent than they are in, in the United States. It's it's a uh, it's uh, a requirement that you pull teeth and. Uh, and gnash, uh, gnash your teeth at somebody to be able to get the information. Mm. And when you do get it, it's heavily redacted. So oh. uh, they, they leave out names, they leave out testimony. Uh, you get very, very little information uh, in an access to information request up here, which wow. is why I'm, uh, I'm actually re-examining this whole thing from the very beginning. And I'm uh, planning on taking uh, the police forces to court to be able to force them to open up their uh, their uh, reports to us um, because, quite frankly, it's a 25-year-old case and right. they're not doing anything but it. So somebody yeah, had if, to. if they're just going to sit on it, right, why not hand it off or give off some of the information to someone else to, to give some insight or, or look into it a little bit deeper, right? Yeah. They have an interesting uh, take on, on cold cases. Um, if you uh, if you ask them what it's going to take to reopen a cold case, they say, well, somebody has to come forward with, with new evidence to compel us to reopen a case. But the problem is, if you don't know what evidence they already have, then what constitutes new evidence? Right. And that causes, the, you know, you're sort of in a catch-22 running around in circles. Um, yeah, so if we could, just for the people listening, if we could uh, kind of start at the beginning of the story and we'll, uh, you know, talk about everything that the, the any official that they say happened and then we can hop into, uh, you know, follow-ups and, um, you know, theories on, on kind of what yep. happened, I guess. Yeah. So um, it was about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning uh, of uh, March 18th, so March 17th being uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, there was a party going on, um, and the the six boys were at the party. Chad Danny Smith, Higgins. Danny Higgins, Jay Boyle, Jamie Lefave, Michael Cummings, and Robbie Rombolt. Of those uh, six, five of them were from the Pickering area. Uh, Jamie Lefave was actually from Toronto. So just a bit further over. Um, I think if, I'm, if I remember correctly, and I'd have to have to take a look at my notes on this, but the three boys that they were seen were on the tape was uh, Danny, Chad, and uh, and Michael. Okay. Um, but, I, but I can't say that for 100%. I'd have to go into my notes and look. All right, right. Um, they decided to leave, uh, and they told their girlfriends they were going down to the marina to quote-unquote goof around. Um they never returned to the party, and that was the last time anybody ever saw them. The story is that they went down to, or the, the, the speculation is they went down to the marina. Uh, there was a videotape of three of them going into a, a boat to uh, to steal uh, beer out of it. Um, and then they took the, uh, the beer, I suppose. Either they drank it or they took it with them. They uh, stole a, um, a imitation Boston whaler. A boat and went out onto Lake Ontario where they uh, supposedly drowned and at that point uh, that was the last time anybody saw them and there was no bodies floating up, there was no boat 
There was no evidence, nothing to, to indicate that they in fact had drowned on the lake, but that's what the police decided was the, the determination. So were all are all three listed as missing? I thought I read some, or uh, all six. I mean, I thought I read somewhere where only three are reported as missing. Well, the interesting part about it is all six of them are obviously missing, but in the in the in the RCMP database, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police database, only three of them are listed as missing. Uh, there's no mention of the other three. Hmm. I think that's a clerical error, um, but uh, it's certainly <laughs> if you want to be. Uh, if you want to be a conspiracy person, I guess that means something. I'm not a conspiracy person, so right. I, I figure that it might just be a, a clerical problem. So l- let me continue on with the story. So since the boys didn't come back at about 2.30 in the morning, two of the girlfriends uh, went over to the police department and reported that the boys had, had uh, left the party and had not come back and that uh, said that they were concerned. The police officer at the time uh, basically responded, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Uh, have the parents come back in the morning. If they haven't returned, have the parents come back in the morning and, and we'll file a report. End, end, of, end of conversation, wow. end of story. Um, they actually didn't begin to even search for the, the boys uh, for uh, 18 hours uh, after the disappearance for the last time they were seen. So it took them a day and a half to, to begin the, the uh, search. Um, the search included uh, the police department, uh, the the uh, Toronto Marine uh, uh, Rescue Group, uh, the Royal Canadian Ma- Air Force. Uh, to, they had, a air, had an aircraft as well as a, a helicopter, as well as the police, uh, obviously, and literally hundreds of, uh, of people walking the shores, just regular people, uh, trying to trying to find any or you know any type of uh, artifact that may have been owned by the boys bits of boat hats anything that they could find and there was nothing found um the police finished up the or closed the the the, the rescue uh, the, the search and rescue on that after 24 hours sorry 48 hours and uh, basically concluded that the boys must have gone out in the lake um fallen overboard um Died of hypothermia, sunk to the bottom, and never to be seen again. So, how does uh, that happen? When a body goes into the water, doesn't it typically, uh, upon decomposition, float to the top? Well, that's a that's a that's a complex uh, question. Um, I, I'm a, a cold water um, scuba diver, a certified oh, okay. in cold water cold water um, rescue, actually. Um, and uh, I do know that uh, a body could sink to the bottom, and if it was extremely cold, it uh, it may be held down, um, not to bother coming back up. But I can, I have a little problem. Oh, by the way, the, the depth and and the coldness of the water, because don't forget this was March, right? Um, and that right. water is cold to start with, uh, so it was cold that at that point in time. But uh, the the decompetition, de- decompetition, the. Um, <laughs> the the body doesn't doesn't break down that quickly, um, in in extremely cold water. But my problem with it is all of this uh, could happen to a single body. But I honestly don't understand how it could happen to six bodies. Right. Um, you know, if the kids uh, are there at that point in time were wearing baseball hats. Right. Um, n- no baseball hats were found on shore. 
Um, the boat was quote-unquote unsinkable, although there was some issues with that. Um, but the, the boat was never found. Um, so, you know, wh where's the evidence that, that they drowned in the lake? I, d I don't know. Right, no uh, hats, no shoes, no No hats, no, no shoes, nothing. No. no boat, not even the boat. Like, that not seems to be one of the biggest parts of this, right? And there's... Is yeah. There's also a uh, a water bike, I guess they call it. Yeah, it's a water well? tricycle. Um, I I think that that's really not a piece of this puzzle, actually. Um, in the end, I think it's possible that uh, yeah, the, the tricycle might have been stolen, and maybe taken on a bit of a joyride. But I don't think they would even, even in a drunken state, I don't think any of these boys would ever take that thing out on, onto Lake Ontario. It's just not stable, and it's uh, quite frankly, it takes an awful lot of work to to be able to pedal it. So I think it's. Um, I don't know where the where the the, the bike went, as it never seemed to be found. But I don't think it really fed into the disappearance of the boys. I think it's a bit of a peripheral issue. Okay, so that might not necessarily have been reported that next morning. That might have been a week down the road that someone noticed that there. No, no, it was reported the next morning. That was not next morning. Oh yeah. Next morning was it was reported from from the uh, from the marina itself. There's two marinas there, um, Swan Marina, marina and the other one I can't remember. East East Lake East Lake East Shore East Shore Marina. The two of them. East Shore was where the 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 uh, the tricycle came from, and the Swan Marina is where the uh, where the boat came from. I was just I was just googling something on Lake Ontario, trying to find out how big the waves are and stuff, which. There are minor waves there. Well, actually, the night that they went missing, it was a completely still, still night. Uh, there was no wind going on at that time. One thing to point out is that that lake is is, is quite large, number one. But number two, it's about 800 feet deep uh, at the deepest point. So uh, the body could go a long ways down, um, mm -hmm. um, and you know, in in that in that cold water, um, whether or not, and I. Problem is the bathymetry in that area is is not that well known, um, so uh, we don't know that? exactly where the bathymetry, the the, the, the what the what the, the depth and the and the structures at the bottom, what the bottom oh, okay. actually looks like, is not really well known in that area. It's never never really been investigated. Is it uh, is it really Oops, rocky around the uh, like the edges of it? Where no, not really. The the bottom is fairly. Uh, it's fairly, uh, you know, there are, obviously there are rocks and everything else, but it's fairly smooth. Um, if you mm -hmm. take a look at um, Lake Ontario, there's a, we have a controversy up here called the Avro Aero, um, which is a, an aircraft that was being built in the in uh, the 60s, um, Mach 2 aircraft that the government of Canada cancelled um, and threw thousands of people out of work. Um, there was a series of uh, of uh, launches of models of the aircraft from a place called uh, uh, Prince Edward County. And they have been recently trying to find those models out in Lake Ontario. And if you take a look at, you, you can look it up, look up our Everero model um, recovery. You can see the bottom there and you'll see that the bottom is actually quite silty. Okay. And that's pretty representative of the, of the, uh, of the lake itself. So to go back to the boat, now you call it like an unsinkable boat. Um, and that's just the way it was made, right? 
Well, uh, I don't know if you know what a what a Boston Whaler is. Yeah. Um, Boston Whaler is a is a, is a group of air, of, uh, of boats. They all have one thing in common that they're they're made of uh, of uh, plexiglass, but they're they're uh, in their interior is styrofoam. And uh, there, if you go online to the uh, to the uh, to the company's website, there are videos of them cutting the boat and cutting boats in half, and they still can maintain. Not only do they float, but they they can still uh, oar them around, uh, row them around. Uh, you can take a shotgun and blow them full of holes, and the things don't sink. Um, wow. Quite frankly, they're supposedly unsinkable. The thing to know about this particular boat that was stolen, though, or disappeared. I'm not going to use that word stolen too much anymore because we don't know. Right. It disappeared. Um, and uh, the the key there is that it was an imitation Boston Whaler. It was built roughly the same way. It was a bit older. It had uh, it had a couple of pinholes or at least one pinhole in it. Um, and uh, it also had a cracked uh, rear seat on it. It had a 25 horsepower engine on the, on the back of it. Um, it quite frankly would not have sunk very very rapidly. It could have sunk over time, right. but uh, even even if it had been swamped, which is what the police uh, think uh, happened, um, it would not have sunk right away. It might have sunk over you know uh, six months or a year or something like that. Oh, okay. oh wow! But uh, but it certainly would have wouldn't have sunk right away. It, uh, it was just too buoyant. So that's um, important because you said they had helicopters, planes in the air. No one saw anything. Well, actually, I'm, I'm still trying to get a report from the Royal Canadian Air Force. Uh, they they uh, they had a they had a, a Hercules C-130 aircraft uh, on the search and rescue, and they apparently reported back a sighting of what what appeared to be a boat floating just below the surface in Lake Ontario. Um, and they well, gave the they they gave the coordinates of it, but for some odd reason, it was never followed up by the, by the police. Um, oh so I'm, I'm trying to, it's, it's mentioned or it's referred to in the police reports. Uh, but I'm still waiting to, to get the RCM and the RCAF to give me a copy of the, of the aircraft logs, um, after, you know, 20 years, 25 years, it's difficult to say where they are right now. So right. if so. that's, if that's true, that blows me away. They're out there looking for these kids. Someone, they, they get a report from one of their searchers saying there's a, partially submerged boat in the water and they don't actually go investigate it. Right. Blows me away. Yeah. So the question just becomes why or why not? And that's the answer that I haven't got yet. Emphasis on the word yet. Now the interesting thing about that boat, by the way, um, if the if the boat had uh, capsized in that area, you know, within it has to be within a 25 mile radius of uh, uh, of the of the marina because that's all the fuel that they had on board apparently. Um, oh, okay. If if the boat actually did get, did get swamped out in the Lake Ontario, it wouldn't have sunk in that area uh, because the the currents and the and the winds in that area actually would take it down towards Rochester, New York. So, if anything, they should be looking. They should have been looking for the boat, probably on the American side, um, and down towards the Rochester area. Um, cannot find anything in the files to indicate that they even discussed it with the uh, with the uh, New York police uh, about right. that. It's no difficult to say. Right. So that's the other thing. The you only know, the, New yeah. York could have had. Sorry. New York could have found evidence of something, but without knowing 
there's a search even going on across the lake, then they're just going to disregard it. Yeah, well, that almost happened in the case of um, there's a there's a one piece of evidence, quote unquote, that was found uh, from the the missing vessel, um, and that was the uh, the gas can that was identified as being from the uh, from that boat. Um, it it was actually located um, by the uh, Coast Guard in uh, in a place called Wilson, New York. If you look, take a look on the map, that's actually directly across from uh, from Pickering, um, Ontario, is is a place called Wilson, New York, and and uh, that's where they found this gas can. The reason that they 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 noticed uh, were piqued by the gas can was the fact that it had French and English writing on it. Um, right. So they they decided that they would contact you know the on the on the Canadian side. And uh, in fact, uh, it was identified as as possibly the uh, 99% sure that it was it was the gas can from from the uh, imitation Boston Whaler. It had a you know it, it had a dent in the right location, uh, so uh, it was being able to be identified that way. The interesting part about that is that um, it is difficult to understand how. First of all, the gas can got separated from the boat. Because uh, if you know anything about, uh, about boating and, and gas cans, that they're yeah they're hooked up by the fuel line by one of those bayonet mounts. So either either somebody disconnected the the uh, the gas can, um, or it broke free um, at some point from from the uh, from the boat itself. Um, again, haven't been able to find the gas can, so I don't really know. Uh, um, you know. What actually happened to that gas can? But the interesting part about it is the only way that that gas can could have come from Pickering and been found in Wilson, New York, is if that boat had gone towards the Toronto side. Okay. So travel it has to be, east. It would have to be further. Have to be further west, west to be able to float east to be on the on the Wilson side. Um, so you know, it's difficult to say. How that gas can actually got to that point, got to that spot? What are what are some of the theories about what what happened with these boys beyond you know the boats quote unquote sinking, all six of them uh, you know losing themselves to the water? Well, there's there's three main theories, and then of course the 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 five thousand four hundred forty seven other <laughs> theories that always go along with these things. Right. Um, but the, the three main theories are first of all the, the police theory, which is that the uh, the boys went out in the lake, the boat was swamped, they all went overboard, they died of hypothermia, mm-hmm. and uh, sunk to the bottom. Um, so that's the that's the official report from the police department. Uh, the second one is that that. The boys had gone out on the lake uh, at night. You know, it's just like two o'clock in the morning or so, two or three, two thirty or three o'clock in the morning, and that maybe a passing freighter, um, a lake freighter, had actually hit the boat, uh, which would kill kill the boys and and destroy the boat. Quite frankly, um, the problem with that, of course, is that when you check the records, there was no uh, lake freighters in that area at the time, nor were they expecting to have any at that particular point in time in, in that part of the part of the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, the third uh, 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 theory was that, in fact, the boys uh, didn't die in the lake, and in fact, didn't die at all. Um, and in fact, uh, 
had either made it to the American side or gone further up towards the, the Toronto Hamilton area and had disappeared from that point in, in time on. Um, I'm not too sure of the last one. Um, I'm not too sure of the second one either. Um, the first one, well, it's the official story, so gosh knows so what it is. There's other theories, obviously, around that. Uh, first of all, they were picked up by aliens. Uh, <laughs> there is uh, there's something out there called a vortex uh, that would suck them up into the clouds, uh, never to be seen again. Um, all, all reasonable. Uh, how, how about a rogue yeah, wave? All, yeah, all the most... <laughs> Uh, yeah, rogue wave. Yeah. There was a must have been an earthquake someplace in South America that caused a, a rogue wave in in Lake Ontario. In, uh, in uh, Lake yeah. Ontario. Right. So, it's been our experience in the cases that we've covered, and I'm sure our listeners would agree that typically when you start asking questions, for some reason they never have the things that they one time had. You know, whether it be uh, reports or DNA samples or or missing articles of clothing. Why do you think that is that they just don't seem to be able to hold on to their stuff? You know, if, if I knew that, I'd I'd be a millionaire. Okay. Um, you know, we have we have two perfect examples of that in this, this particular case. Um, one uh, one example of it is I, I filed an access to information request to get the videotape that had been referred to um, in the police reports. The families at that point in time had actually viewed the tape back in 1995, but when I went to make the access to information request in 2013, uh, they came back and said there was no videotape. Hmm. So, you know, why, why, why is that the case? Do they misplace it? Um, do they not understand what the what the request was? They never seem to be able to figure that one out. It's just a matter of, you know, well, we we had it, we don't know where it is now. Yeah. Same thing with the with the gas can. I've been trying to get at a minimum a photograph of, of the gas can that was found in Wilson, New York, and uh, again, no responses to it. They don't have any photos. They don't seem to be able to find the gas can. You know, they they have an awful lot of stuff that they that they keep, uh, you know, in 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 their lockups for evidence. But right. In a 25 year old case, I can imagine it's probably. Not sitting, you know, in a, in a in a box in the middle of their of their offices. It might be in storage someplace, or quite frankly, they might have, uh, you know, disposed of it somehow, which causes the other problem because this is still not a closed case. Right. So right. all of the all of the evidence really should be should be in existence. We had the same thing going on with the quote unquote red pants um, case, which is uh, peripherally aligned to this one. In this particular case. Uh, a description of, of a pair of pants that were found uh, floating uh, with, with bones in it in the Niagara River um, were described as uh, red uh, Levi Strauss jeans, denim jeans. Um, I've forced through through an awful lot of real problems and as, as well as having the family come forth with a 44,000 name uh, petition. We finally got the, uh, the police to send the, the artifacts over to the coroner so we can get a DNA testing done. And when we sat down with the coroner, the coroner said, well, they're not red Levi jeans. Um, they're in fact not jeans. They're a, a parachute type of material. They're orange and they have a fire retardant on them. Hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> so the question just becomes, was he, in 2014, the coroner says one thing. And in 1998, when the bones were found, and the pants were found. The, the the police said something else completely different. 
you know, do we have have the same? That that doesn't sound like, uh, like it was just, you know, they, they, their color was off, right? It seems like they might've dug up a different piece of evidence. uh, Just pulled something kind of out of their butt, you know, and said, Oh, this is it. Here you go. Cause we lost the original. Well, you know, and I can't say that for sure, but uh, certainly uh, there, there is a chance of that, and I'll, and I'll give you the reasons why. The situation is that when, in 1998, when the pants were found, um, there was a measurement taken of the, both the, the inseam as well as the waist. Um, and also in the report, um, the, the police um, made mention that it, there were Levi Strauss. They didn't just call them, you know, denim jeans they were referred to right. as levi strauss not even not even levi's levi strauss full full word um when i when i filed the access to information request for that particular uh, report um it was heavily redacted again um, but in addition to the redacted information on the on the thing the name and uh, badge number of the reporting police officer was also redacted so I can't even go back and find out who, who that gonna, person was. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever spoke to the investigating officer, but that answers that question. Yep. <laughs> um. So I don't want to beat this to death as far as the boat thing, but say they – was there reports of any gas that was stolen from the marina so they could have gone further than the 25 miles and that they disconnected that tank and threw it overboard and – replace it with another one no there was no reports of that none, none reported missing um, uh, not to say that they didn't but there was nothing reported that way you know the interesting part about it this is in March of uh, March 17th March 18th mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's kind of early for people to be on on boats quite frankly in Lake Ontario you know, right the, 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 the ice is off it obviously but it's really really cold and uh, you know, I'm not too sure how many boats were actually in that marina, and ha- and you know how many boats were, were were actually fueled up or had fuel on board. Um, uh, you know, that's what I'm hoping to find out in this new re re reexamination that we're going to go through of the evidence. Now, did did any of these boys have any sort of like experience on boats? Like, was that? Do we know yes. that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, two two of the boys actually were, were extremely good boaters, and understood the uh, the uh, the safety in boats. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, when you get drunk, though, it, <laughs> sometimes right. good sense goes out the window. Um, and I and I'm and I'm not sure that uh, that we know if the boys were drunk at that point in time. So uh, you know, or or whether or not they're under the influence of uh, maybe some some uh, you know some some weed or something like that. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of a lot of questions as to what's been going on along that line too. Part of my investigation, obviously, is into the drug trade that was going on in in uh, in that area at the time. So yeah, let's let's talk about that. Some that seems to be an all too common theme in some of these scenarios as well. People who go missing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's interesting that. There, there was an offload. There was a drug trade back and forth between the United States and Canada because it, you know that distance is not that far. Right. So, uh, so pe- people were, were were taking drugs back and forth across the border. Um, at that point in time, it was well known that there was a drug trade in in, in Pickering at the time. One of the things that I found uh, in in my investigation was uh, was a, an indi- individual. Um, he was a teacher um, at one of the uh, high schools. 
in in the area. Interestingly enough, he'd been a, he'd been a teacher since 1980. He was certified and, and got a job as a teacher since 1980 in that area. And when I finally found um, uh, information on him, I found out that in fact he had a criminal record that goes all the way back to 1980, during the time that he was a teacher. And he was finally uh, defrocked as a teacher in 1997, I believe it was, because uh, he was found sitting in a room with uh, a, a, a bunch of a bunch of money in one area and a whole stash of cocaine underneath his bed. And he was sitting on the bed, and uh, he claimed that, of course, it wasn't his. Um, <laughs> in, interestingly enough, mm. it's, as part of the, the, the information that I did find, it said that uh, his his driver's license was found in the bag, also with the cocaine. And he says it says it wasn't his. Regardless, the the bottom line is that uh, this this guy was a teacher. He was also a guidance counselor. Um, and he three three of the boys actually were at that school that he was at. Really. And uh, and uh, two two of them, I believe, two of them. It's possible one. Uh, but um, at least one of the, the boys actually had, had dropped out of school. And in order to do that, one of the things you're required to do is to go visit the guidance counselor to, you know, just to have a chat with them. So here you, here you are dropping out of school, and uh, you're going to see the guidance counselor who happens to be a drug dealer. And his drug name, by the way, is The Teacher. <laughs> so, oh, my word. Now, the, you know, I don't know what the situation is with all that, whether or not there's a connection uh, between the boys and, 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 and the, the teacher. Um, it's difficult to find the information because we have a, we have a system up here in Canada, which uh, is not unusual. Uh, you have pardons in the United States. We have pardons up in Canada. But uh, in Canada, the term pardon has been replaced by something called a record suspension. And a record suspension is that if you, uh, it's a federal thing, but if you if you paid your paid your bill to uh, to the to the state basically, uh, so you you serve your sentence um, and you have a clean bill of bill after that, then you can apply to have your records suspended, and if it's agreed to by the courts, then your records go into uh, some sort of uh, oh I don't know black hole someplace. And you, I can't get access to them. Um, the the CPIC system, the Canadian Police Information System, here in Canada, uh, doesn't have access to that that black hole. So if you go and do a, a records check on on this particular teacher, you will find nothing. There wow. is no information on his his convictions. There's no information on his court records. There's no information on anything. And in fact, if he wanted to go and be a uh, a, um, a volunteer to look after kids or even go back into teaching, there's nothing to stop him from doing that because there that is, is no record of, that, of his transgressions. So there, <laughs> there, there, there's someone that must have access to that though, right? Obviously, the only the only way that it had ever come up is if you ever got convicted again. Then it would okay. come up. But uh, at this point in time, um, you know, it, it's basically uh, it's a record suspension. It doesn't exist until such times it needs to come back. And I can't get access to it, neither can any of the lawyers. Um, so it's difficult to say, you know, what's gonna happen with that. But uh, we do know quite a bit about this guy and we know quite a bit about uh, 
uh, what was going on down in that area at the time because quite frankly you know people people know things right um, so we're collecting it from the from the individuals rather than from the from the authorities well yeah you can't get anything from them anyways right so no no they and won't give it to me I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that people say that the police were involved with that drug trade too um, yes yeah that's uh, <laughs> That's a, that's a that's a well-known thing in that area, and that's a well-known thing with with an awful lot of police forces. And not not to say that Durham was the only one like that, right? Because um, I'm sure it isn't. The interesting other thing about that is that there is evidence uh, 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 that I've I've collected that said that the police had had uh, uh, pretty poor relations with one or two of the boys in that area too, to the point where. The, the day that the boys disappeared, one of the boys, one of the boys, uh, had the quote-unquote shit kicked out of him by 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 the police um, wow. because oh. they didn't like him. Um, so there was there was uh, there was not a um, there was no great love between the police and, and these particular boys, at least one or two of them. So um, you know, maybe so the police didn't do a good job because they didn't want to. That's right. pretty interesting that that happens the same day they they go missing. But mm, yep, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty obvious thing here to state, right, is uh, it seems like it's plausible that with a teacher as, as a guidance counselor or whatever his, his title was, that, you know, some kid uh, wants to drop out, well, let's offer them maybe kind of a lucrative way to, to handle things after he gets out of school, uh, you know, toss up the idea that, hey, if you want to traffic some of this stuff for me you can get a cut of some money right yep so. that, that's always possible um no evidence to indicate that but obviously uh, no evidence at this time <laughs> so i want to ask you a couple of questions so michael cummings mother had stated that michael had made a strange gesture and comments to her the day they went missing can you tell us about that yeah um there was a uh, a report to uh, uh, michael's mother um, had talked to Michael in the morning and Michael had taken off a, a necklace that he had uh, he was wearing um, which which he, he thought was uh, I gather it was quite important to him or uh, a, bit, a bit sentimental and he gave it to his mother and uh, asked his mother to basically look after it for him and he said goodbye to her at that point in time um, don't know how how you know how that all works out or whether or not there's there's a whole lot of evidence in that but uh, it, it's interesting that uh, that did happen yeah it, hmm. it's interesting that happened in the case it's kind of raises some questions yeah so in 1998 um, they were doing some cleaning in in the uh, at one of the uh, the big power stations up on the Niagara River um, it's uh, and one of the things they did find was they found two bodies that were that were in that area, uh, so they were in the one of the intake uh, uh, areas. Um, one of the bodies was was pure bones. Uh, the other one was was bones encased in a pair of pants. There was a, a red pair of pants described as red pair of pants um, with a black belt, a pair of uh, socks. Um, specifically designed socks or described socks as well as a wallet that had nothing in it. Um, those two uh, bodies, uh, sets of remains were taken into custody by the the uh, Niagara Regional Police. Um, 17 days later they sent 
the the uh, the remains to the Hamilton General Hospital for for autopsy purposes. I gather that was done. I've not been able to get a hold of the the report yet, but we're still trying. Um, but uh, they. That was sort of the end of the the, the, the case for that. Uh, at no point in time did they ever connect uh, the bodies recovered in Niagara River to the boys that uh, the lost boys here, because the the police had decided that they in fact had had, uh, had drowned in the lake, and there was no way that they could possibly end up in the Niagara River because that goes against the entire current. Um, so there's no way to. Uh, for the, for the bodies to to be lost in in the lake, and found in the Niagara River, um, so there was no connection between the two cases. Um, when we came on to uh, into the case, uh, there was a psychic who had. And I I really don't know too much about this guy, or how he found out about this or whatever, because I'm I'm not that keen on psychics, but uh, he he claimed that uh, that he saw something to do with red pants. And uh, they turned out that uh, that uh, this these bodies had been recovered, and on the the Ontario Provincial Police's website for missing persons, there was a, a photograph of the of the pants um, with a indication that uh, that uh, you know the bones were there, and that there was it was an unidentified remains basically. So I don't know how he knew about this, but but he did. Um, you know, maybe he's, uh, he made this claim before they announced the the red pants. Right, right. Okay. This is actually how we got to the red pants. Um, so um, anyway, we 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 did the research on that, and in fact, yeah, I did find that uh, there was a pair of red pants um, in the in the uh, in the RC and the, the Ontario Provincial Police database. Um, so I contacted the the Niagara Regional Police. With an access to information request about the the um, the, uh, the 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 remains, and all of a sudden started hitting brick walls, and mm. they were brick walls that they were really fun brick walls because <laughs> I have been doing this for years, and I have been doing access to information requests to police forces and other other organizations for years, and I never hit one like this. Uh, um, <laughs> they started off by saying, when I did the access to information request, I gave them the OPP case numbers because that's the only ones that I had. Um, and uh, but I actually gave them the date, the location, and everything else is on on the particular case. On the, and I guess sent them pictures of from the OPP database and everything else. And they came back and said, uh, this is an OPP issue. So you uh, were refusing your your access to information request, even though it was was well known that it was it was an aggregate case. So I went back to the to the Ontario Provincial Police and I asked them the question. You know, they say it's your it's your case, but uh, you know, tell me about this. And they said, well, the only reason you have that case number is because that's the case number we use to be able to put it into the Ontario Provincial Police missing persons database. But this, in fact, is a case of the of the Niagara Regional Police. And the, the lady who was telling me this decided that hmm, there's an opportunity for us. She gave me the, the case numbers from the Niagara Regional Police. So now I had the Niagara Regional Police case numbers for, the, for these particular um, remains. So I went back and did an access to information request again. And they came back and said, you have to send us, with your request, you have to send us two 
government issued IDs and have them notarized before you send them to us. Is that now, a thing? as I said, I've, I've been I've been I've been doing this for years, <laughs> and I'd never heard this one. <laughs> so I fired an email back to them, and I said, uh, you know, this uh, this is ridiculous. That there's nothing in the act that says that I have to provide you this information. And they said, well, you know, this is our rules. So I appealed that to the Information Commissioner of the Province of Ontario, which is the next step up, and uh, they, they, that person, or they contacted the police and said, you're wrong. Um, so they came back to me and said, well, refile your, your access to information request again. By the way, every time you do this, it costs you five bucks. So uh, now, now, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm three I'm, I'm three into it now. Um, and, and, and to go to the Information Commissioner for an appeal has cost you 25 bucks. So now I'm 40 bucks into it. Every little bit counts. Yeah, and right. I, and I don't and I don't have the information yet, and I'm 40 bucks into it. So so I refile the the access to information request again, and I get a response back and said, "Oh, this is private information." What? To which I responded, "How can it be private information when you don't even know who the person is? These, right. You know, <laughs> this is unidentified remains." World? The, the word unidentified is the most important word there, by the way. So anyway, it took, it took, I was, you know, I had to basically tear their back teeth out to finally get the information that, the, that, that I was after. And when I did, it was so heavily redacted, it was almost useless. Um, so I, I finally got the information in a way that uh, I had enough information that I could, I could, I could, uh, you know, extrapolate um, on the on this type of thing, and <laughs> the problem became that there was no information about the the continuity of evidence. Where where you know this was 1998, and I was asking this in 2012, and in that period of time, uh, they could not tell me where the re where the unidentified remains were. Um, they had they told me that they had been sent to the Hamilton General Hospital to be uh, to be uh, autopsied, but at no point in time did they ever say they were returned from the hospital. So I contacted the hospital and just, just, just to let you know that amongst the many things that I've done in my years, I used to be a morgue attendant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so I, know, I know how morgues work. I know how histology works and I know how evidence is, is, is kept at hospitals and, and, and treated in hospitals. So I contacted the hospital, I talked to the chief pathologist, and I said, you know, you can't tell me about this because it was so long ago, but tell me about the policy. Would you keep that type of forensic information uh, material at the hospital for 14 years? And they said, obviously, no. Right. <laughs> we, we would never do that. It would be sent back to the, to the, uh, to the police department. Right. So anyway, we went around in circles on that with them for almost a year and a half, I guess, and finally, they decided that they were they they had enough of us. Maybe I don't know, but they sent the materials over to the Ontario Coroner's Office in Toronto for uh, for forensic analysis uh, to determine whether or not these these uh, were were the uh, the bones of, of of one of the boys, Jay Boyle, in this particular case. The, the quote um, quote uh, materials. Yes, and and that's where the that's where the problem came up. Uh, first of all, the, when we went to meet them, uh, they they had not done the DNA analysis yet, and even though this was like six weeks after, and the reason they hadn't done it is because they didn't get the box right away, when it was supposed to have been sent over from from Hamilton, uh, the box was delayed, and they accidentally let it slip that the reason it was delayed was that uh, the box had gone missing, 
um, during one of the renovations that they'd done at the police wow. office, and and uh, and that when they finally found it, they sent it over to the to the Ontario coroner. So who knows if they're even looking at the right set of remains? That's the problem. And without the without the transmittal sheets they, the, for the continuity of evidence, it's difficult to know. And the fact that they had a pair of red Levi jeans at one end in 1998, and, a, and, a, and an orange pair of of uh, flame retardant, uh, you know, parachute pants and in 2014 makes you wonder what the hell happened in the meantime. Right. He, he also knows the difference between red Levi's yeah. and parachute pants or whatever they were. One yeah, has to think so. I'm pretty sure Levi Strauss didn't put out uh, orange parachute pants. <laughs> no. It doesn't no. seem like a real brand. Well, and like. and the interesting part is that uh, is that uh, the police, if I remember correctly, uh, the forensic uh, anthropologist said specifically that this it is not possible that these are red Levi jeans from the 1990s. Oh, so that, well, that's pretty definitive. That. Yeah. Pre pretty definitive. Did he have a date um, as to when they would have been? You know, oh, no. These are no, no, he had, parachute no. pants from the 70s or something. No, didn't didn't, didn't say that. <laughs> she, she didn't go that, that, that much detail. <laughs> so basically, the DNA didn't match, the pants didn't match. Right. Close the case, right? Um. Yeah, close the case for that point in time. Right. Now the the interesting thing is that of course now the uh, the DNA of of the the bones. By the way, that initially they couldn't didn't they couldn't get enough sample to to be able to do DNA testing until they were pushed on it, and all of a sudden they came up with the DNA um, from from the bones. The um, the government of Canada implemented a a DNA database um, last year, and now it's it's interesting because. In the United States, you guys have had a DNA database for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, years down there. But we didn't have one up here. The only, the only, the only DNA database that we had federally was if you were convicted of of a of a, of a major crime, or if it was, uh, you know, if it was obviously a case of a homicide, then the DNA would be done and, and put into this database. But a, a missing a missing persons case, unidentified remains, no, to totally That's ignored. So so now they've now they've got this database in place, um, and uh, now not only is Jay Boyle's uh, DNA on on record, but also the 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 the, uh, the DNA from the from the bones that that were re that were tested. I almost said recovered, but I'll say tested. Right. Right. So, so and and hopefully you know that that will help them identify or help us identify somewhere in the future uh, who who in fact those unidentified remains actually really were. Now, do we know which boy it was that was beat up by the cops? Was that Jay Boyle as well? Yes, and that was information from his sister. Interesting that say that is his remains nowhere near the lake, dumped off at the it's a dam I, I presume hydroelectric dam or something. Yeah, it's a hydroelectric dam and in, an input area. Range. Yeah, who's who's to know? You know, uh, there's a uh, there was a body recovered in uh, in Wisconsin. I forgot the name of it now, off the top of my head. But you can find it, but uh, it was found in a field um, in Wisconsin, and uh, they, they did a uh, reconstruction of the of the the body. It was just bones that they found basically. Right. But uh, the reconstruction bones and hair they found. The reconstruction actually looked. Remarkably, like Jamie Lefave, one of the boys that went missing. I saw that. And uh, tried, tried. I tried uh, pretty hard to to get uh, get uh, you know hairbrush or any any type of material that might have had 
Jay's or Jamie's, uh, you know, DNA on it, and unfortunately we were, were unable to get that, no. so we were never able to 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 compare it. But you know, here's here's two two situations where um, potentially, okay, two of the boys end up in the United States, or well, one in Canada, obviously, but in in uh, in Niagara, and the other one in Wisconsin. Whether or not, in fact, they were they were them, I don't know for sure. But here's here's the case that uh, you know possibly the boys, um, you know, or one or more of the boys actually um, skipped town, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that. Right. Now I don't particularly believe this, by the way, and the reason I don't believe that is because of Jay Boyle. Jay's uh, uh, girlfriend um, had a baby uh, wow. shortly before he went missing. Um, he was kind of dedicated to that girl, um, and, and I don't particularly believe that he would he would uh, skip the country uh, willingly and never come back. Um, it's just just I don't think it's in his DNA to do that. Now that's not to say that he's not saying you know, there wasn't any foul play after he went ashore. Uh, maybe he was you know disappearing for for a little bit and then met up with some foul play. I, I don't know that for sure, but I don't think he would purposely disappear um, and never, you know, not not to come back. So I don't think we're going to find out he's still alive someplace. Right. This doesn't make sense. No, it is weird with, that. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jeff. Oh no. Uh, well, with with the remains that they uh, they the, you said look a lot like Jamie there. Um, they could couldn't they test his relatives, his his like parents uh, against familial the DNA from that? familial DNA? Yeah. Right. Right. The same kind of way that yes. you do like a test. Yes, but you have to get the agreement from the from the from the family for that. Okay, and were they not on board the, for that? Um, not 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 at that point in time that we were looking. Okay. A lot of people want to move on from this. Right. So, um, you know, from the from that perspective. If if these three bodies that were found, because there's two found at the dam, right? And this one in the field. If they're not involved, it's it's weird that six kids can go missing, never to be found at all. Doesn't, right. Doesn't seem plausible. And and if if bodies are recovered or found, I don't like. Why wouldn't you test that immediately to some kids that went missing there? You know. Well, you would think back in 1995 that that they would have done a DNA testing, but you have to understand this is, this was 1995. Uh, DNA testing uh, was not that it was a, a fairly new technique, and at that point in time, it was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So, so to have done DNA testing on on the families, you know, at that point in time, uh, it's it's understandable, quite frankly, that it wouldn't have been done. The only reason we got Jay Boyle's uh, uh, DNA was that his mother had kept a, a piece of the umbilical cord uh, from when he was born. And oh, wow. uh, the, his D, D, DNA was actually extracted from that piece of um, umbilical cord. So, his, his message for all uh, all the the parents out there: if uh, if you can get uh, some evidence of, of of your children, just in case, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Right. So, uh, you know, whether it be a hair hair follicle or something like that. Yep. Now, I know I messaged you through the uh, the Facebook page about the boys. Yeah. Does the family know that you're talking to us tonight, and how do they feel about that? Uh, that I'm talking to you. Well, when you first contacted me, I I sent the message on to to one of the sisters, and I don't know if she ever contacted you back. No. Nope. So the the answer to your question is no. They don't know I'm talking to you right now. Um, 
I don't think that they would be too upset because, quite frankly, they'd like some answers too. Right. Right. But one of the things that I wanted to 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 mention to your audience is that, uh, you know, there is now a plan foot to to re-examine this case. I want to take it back to its to its very beginning, and that that is back to 1995. I want to be able to establish who the boys were, you know, what the situation was with the boys at the point in time. Uh, what the police force was doing, what was happening around the Pickering area at that particular point. I want to get the baseline in place, okay, mm -hmm. um, and then bring it forward. Right now, everything we've done for the last uh, six or seven years has actually been reactionary. Picked up a little information, went at it. Picked up a little information, went at it. But right. at no point in time have I ever gone back to, to, to the very beginning on this thing and said, okay, now let's take a look at it from the very beginning and move forward. You know, there there are people that have I have talked to over the last uh, six seven years that have given me information about what was going on that night. Uh, there was people at the party, for example, that had information. Uh, there's there's all sorts of new information out there that I think needs to be fed into to the scenario, so that we can really start begin to understand. I need to contact, for example, the the New York State Police. Um, and the and the police forces in that in 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 and along the Lake Ontario side to be able to determine whether or not over the years they've been they found any body parts or or evidence along that line that uh, they didn't connect back to the uh, to the uh, the missing boys case in 1995. Um, I need to start doing all that kind of stuff and uh, and establish what we think is the is the actual story of the, of this disappearance. I would. Um, um... I would suggest you you find those girls that initially took that re or sent the report to the police department at three in the morning. I find it weird that they were so concerned at three a.m. at that point to go see the police department, knowing that these are all kids that were drinking, to start mentioning that these kids were missing. Like that seems odd to me. They wouldn't wait till the following day. Yeah, no, I've got all that information already. Um, been collecting it for years. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just say it's just a matter of uh, a matter of trying to connect all these things to connect the dots and see what, see what happens on the thing. Yeah. So so what I'm doing is uh, is I've started a um, I started a um, a tip line which is uh, called lostboys.tipline.gmail.com. Uh, sorry, at gmail.com so that uh, people can send information in. I've already got to put that up yesterday. And I've already got uh, 35 emails on that. Wow. Um, people inf have information or did you know this or do you know that? And, and that's good because that's only a day's worth. Um, some of it will probably be, you know, did, do you know that there was actually uh, UFOs in the area? And, and I'll probably just put those <laughs> right. off to the side. Um, that's number one. Number two, I've got a tube channel that uh, I've set up um, that... Um, uh, it's going to uh, it's going to help us uh, uh, get video information out and, and audio information out to uh, to the people. It's uh, you'll be able to find it if you go onto the Lost Boys of Pickering uh, Facebook page, which is uh, Lost Boys of Pickering, P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. And then the other thing that I've setting up is uh, is I'm, I've set up a, a GoFundMe page to uh, raise the funding for this because this is going to cost some money. Right. I've been doing this now for eight years uh, pro bono. I've never charged anybody a cent for any of the stuff that I've done over the years. Um, but now I have to take it to a different level. I need to get the, the, the lawyers involved. I need to get uh, a, 
other people involved that are, that are going to be costing money. So uh, we set up this, this Facebook, uh, uh, sorry, this uh, GoFundMe page. And all this information is on the Lost Boys of Pickering uh, Facebook page. So, all right. and we accept, Ameri- we accept American money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, it, it's it's awesome to, to, to hear that someone's out there doing this stuff, you know, trying to trying to help these families get through this sort of deal. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long long trip, but as I as I told the uh, the Boyle sisters when I first met them that uh, this is a marathon, not a race. Um, right. So you know, it's going to take time. It's going to seem like we're not going in any direction uh, very quickly, and uh, but you know, eventually we'll get to the point where we can say. Yeah, this is possibly what happened, or likely what happened, um, but we're never ever going to be able to say this is this is definitely right. what happened. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think we'll ever With, do that without any bodies. Yeah. Any any other information or photos or anything like that you want to pass on to us for us to share? We'd definitely appreciate that as well. Uh, I've got a lot of crap. I can go through it and see what I can <laughs> provide you. I got to. Uh, I got 12 binders worth of stuff up here. Do you want do you want them all? And that's not including oh. the stuff that's still still electronic on the computer. Wow. <laughs> so. uh, just uh, maybe the stuff you find most important. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. No problem. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. No problem. Okay. Take it easy. All right. Have a good night, Bruce. Bye-bye. All right. We would like to thank Bruce for taking the time to speak with us today. And if you have any information about this case, please contact the Durham Regional Police at 888-579-1520. They're located in Whitby, Ontario. Or send a tip to lostboys.tipline at gmail.com. You can also head over to the Lost Boys of Pickering Facebook page and also consider donating to Bruce's GoFundMe and help him find justice. And as always, thanks for listening. Five-year-old Taylor, Taylor Williams led investigators to Alabama this week. So we have some breaking news from Florida. An arrest has been made. Teenage, in after years of agony, a glimmer of hope for the family. Investigators spent hours searching through this house off Pennsylvania Avenue. What could be a major development in the search for missing Alabama teenager? Tonight, a stunning twist in the search for Taylor. Somebody out there knows something. They want to lay him to rest their way, not by somebody else's way.